Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. All right, you got your Bibles? I'm having a hard time, like, shifting gears. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, pray for me. I would like you to go to Numbers chapter 13 for the next few moments. We're going to look at a, a, a number of different, <laughs> do you see that? A number of different passages pun intended. Numbers chapter 13. Thanks, Cody. We are going to look at several different portions tonight. I'm thankful that the Lord is helping me and we're going to move in the spirit tonight. Amen. We're going to move in the spirit. So how many of you were here last week? Can I see your hands? We we were we were dealing with giants and appetite for victory. How many of you are, were with us dealing with giants and appetite for victory? So I couldn't get away from this from last week, so I'm just going to say we're dealing with giants part two. How's that? Is that okay? And we're going to go strong. This is a fresh message tonight, and I just, <clears throat> the Lord really harnessed me in and locked me in today. So you're in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to begin there in just a few moments. This is where Moses is sending the 12 leaders to represent each of the tribes to go and spy out the promised land. You remember this? This is when Moses is now commissioning the 12 to go and look and spy out the promised land. Father, again, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you that your word is alive. It is sharp. It is powerful. It is quick. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, tonight, your word brings life. Your word brings fire. God, your word brings impartation into this house to the hearer. To, to those that, Lord, this is going to take, and, and it's weeks, weeks from now, people are going to grab hold of this message, find this message for empowerment and strength. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you for an impartation of your life tonight and your courage and your power in this house upon the word and through me, your messenger, in Jesus' name, amen. So Numbers 13, um, and I'm, I'm going to begin around verse 26 there, and you can see there in verse 23, they're in the valley of Eshcol. They've cut down the branch with the, with the cluster of grapes. They've carried it on a pole between the two of them. They've brought uh, pomegranates. They've brought figs in the valley of Eshcol. The men are bringing the clusters, and at verse 26, it says, now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran of Kadesh. They brought back word to them, to all the congregations, showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him, uh, him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and with honey, and there is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, they are strong. The cities are fortified and they are very large. Moreover, 
we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, we're going to get into this in just a moment, who actually Anak is and the descendants of Anak, who they truly were. Verse 29, and the Amalekites, they dwelt in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. You want to catch that tonight. The Amorites, they dwell in the mountains, or they dwell in the high places. Are you with me? And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb, he quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to over." Come it. But the men who had gone up with him, they said, We're not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies in the land that devour its inhabitants and all the people of the land whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the descendants of Anak because of the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in our sight. Now notice that. Now it, it, the Scripture says that they gave a bad report. If you're reading, I'm reading tonight out of the, out of the New King James Version. And for those of you that, that are curious, most of the time my study Bible is in the New King James Version. But if you're reading out of the King James Version tonight, the original King James, it says these words, it says that these men came back with an evil report, an evil report. New King James says they brought a bad report. Now, that's strong language, an evil report, because they were not saying what God said. They were saying actually the opposite of what God said. God said, you're going to go in, you're going to take possession of this land. But when they saw the giants, they were fearful they were afraid. They were like grasshoppers in their own sight. They were looking through their, their own eyes or the eyes of the natural man. And so the congregation, chapter 14, they lifted up their voices and they cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel, they complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, listen to this, if we had only died in the land of Egypt, my God, I mean, what a weak people. If we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if they, if we had died in this wilderness, it's just, I'm going to stop right there. You will always know where someone is going by the way that they talk. You will always know what direction someone is going by the way that they talk. They were going backwards. Did you know that? They were talking about their life not in the present tense. They were talking about where they had been even though it was bondage. How quickly they forgot. How quickly they forgot the land of Egypt was bondage. Oh, if we just would have died in Egypt where we had no destiny. That's scary stuff. 
Why has the Lord, verse 3, brought us into the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to bondage, to Egypt. I mean, can you imagine being Moses and Aaron? I mean, really, can, can you imagine... Try to put yourself in their shoes how absolutely horrid this feels. To even hear this kind of language. Oh, that we could just go back and return. Let us just raise up another pastor for us. A pastor who can lead us back into our bondage. Oh, that we just had another leader that could lead us back into our slavery. And then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces before all the assembly and the congregation and the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. Yeah, I bet they did. They tore their clothes open. And they spoke to all the congregation, I'm in verse 7, to the children of Israel, saying, the land that we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land, and he will give it to us, and the land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are Bread. They are bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Ho! They are bread for us. Are you with me? Are you here? Are you alive tonight? They are bread for us. In other words, he says, I have an appetite to devour them. I can discern, even though what we see in the natural, even though that they are giants, I'm discerning their protection has vanished. I'm preaching to you prophetically tonight. Take hold of this tonight. Verse 9 again. i got to read it again. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are bred. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. It's amazing, this murderous spirit that emerged out of them so quickly. Did you catch that? They picked up stones to kill their leadership. They picked up stones to kill Joshua and Caleb. Are you tracking this? This is, this is our Bible we're reading here. They picked up stones to kill these men of faith. When you jump over to uh, verse, let's see. If you just jump over, I'm still in 13. And if you look at, let's see, chapter 13, verse 22. 
Two, two, two. Yeah, let's read that. Because of all these men who have seen my glory and the sign which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, they have now put me to the test these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Wow, God's burning in anger. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move towards the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So God, God just drew the line in the sand. If you read through the whole context, God wanted to actually wipe them out. He, was, he just wanted to wipe them out. We're going to just buy that, bypass that tonight. And aren't you glad? Just wipe that sweat off your brow. But I want to take you tonight into a few scriptures here to build these foundations. I want you to jump over to, let's see. Okay, well, I'm going to hold off on that. I need to build some more. I'm going to build some more. A friend of mine, many of you know Dutch Sheets, is a dear friend of ours. Several years ago, a prophet spoke into Dutch's life. His name is Chuck Pierce. And the word, the word was this. It was a very, very unusual word. But Chuck spoke to Dutch and he said, I am going to, the Spirit of God says, I'm going to pioneer Hebron again. I want you to just write down the word Hebron. H-E-B-R-O-N, Hebron. I want you to write that down. He's, the Spirit of the Lord said, I'm going to pioneer Hebron again. Now, this is vitally important that we started here tonight because I really just wanted to introduce and lay the, just kind of the structure and the construct upon two men, Joshua and Caleb. I want you to see what they were going through. They came back with these t- ten men. How many of you know the names of those other ten men? Can I see your hands? Exactly. So have you ever noticed that people name their kids Joshua and Caleb? Have you ever noticed that? Why is that? Because they were men of faith. They were men that believed the word of the Lord. They were men of courage. They were men of boldness. You ever noticed that? So what happened here, this is important. I want to build on Hebron for a little while because what we discover And we're going to read these scriptures in just a little bit. Is that Hebron was a stronghold of the giants. Anak and these descendants, we're going to talk about giants tonight. And remember, all of this is in your Bible. We're not reading out of, uh, you know, the Reader's Digest tonight or, or the Inquirer magazine because inquiring minds want to know. We're reading out of the Bible Hebron became actually a stronghold for the giants. So there's something that I want to introduce into the subject matter tonight, and that is this. The devil loves, listen, hear me good. The devil loves and thrives on coming to a place to desecrate it. He loves to come to desecrate. He loves to come to a place to tear it down. Ancient markers that are sacred unto God. There is something so vile, so jaded, so perverted about the devil that he comes to 
desecrate that which God has sanctified and called holy unto him. you got to mark this down. Because the enemy is a defiler. He is a defiler. The enemy is a mocker. He is a hater. He is a hater and a mocker of all that is holy, all that is sacred to God. I, I got to make this point very, very strong tonight. That's why he hates you with so much unbelievable hatred. Because you and I were created in the very image and in the likeness of Almighty God. Not the angelic race from which he fell and went from Lucifer to the dragon Satan. The reason that he hates mankind the most is because you and I were made in the very likeness and the very image of God himself. And he took jealousy over it. And iniquity, the scripture says, was found within Lucifer. There is this deep-seated jealousy. There's this vanity. There's this raging of pride on the inside of Satan himself. I, I was watching late last night. I was watching this, this latest mob in the city of Chicago. And the police were trying to deal with the mob there, trying to tear down, trying to desecrate the monument for Christopher Columbus. How many of you saw that? And I, I absolutely love the city of Chicago. And I'm telling you, as I watched this, as I, as I watched all the police was enduring the barrage after the barrage of people, what they were doing. I'm telling you what, it was fire in me. Fire. There is something that is driving the masses in this nation. And you need to understand they are now being driven by demons. Listen, listen. They are being driven by demons. It is an anti-God spirit. It is an anti-Christ spirit for anyone, for any one of our fathers, our founding fathers who honored God, who stayed loyal unto God. Imperfect people, yes. Imperfect people, yes. But those who feared and honored the Lord our God, it seems that that's who they're after. They're after the ancient landmarks. They want no record of these ancient landmarks being found. No record of it. Why? This hatred that is burning within them, it, it's demonic, folks. You make no mistake about it. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Hebron, okay? Hebron is extremely significant before the giants took over the city of Hebron. Hebron means friendship. Hebron means friendship. Hebron also means deep intimacy. Friendship and deep intimacy. If you study the Greek word deep, uh, a little bit more deeper, you find out it actually means confederacy or federation. Now, this is important, and I'm going to go somewhere with this in just a little bit. Hebron was also the highest place in all of Israel and still is to this day. It was the high place. It was the high point. Hebron, the city, significant. And it's prophetic for us because the high place 
belongs to who? The highest place belongs to the friends of God. The high place belongs to those that are in friendship or in covenant or in intimacy with God. The highest places are reserved for those who are true friends of God. Are you seeing it? Something you should write down about Hebron. It is the city of the patriarchs. The city of the patriarchs. How do we know that? We know this. We know that Abraham and Sarah were buried in Hebron. We know that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and, and, and Rachel, they were buried in the city of Hebron at the highest place buried there in the city of Hebron. Abraham is our father, Sarah being our mother, our father of faith. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham is known as the great what? The great friend of God. The great friend of God. That's why Hebron was named that, which means friendship. Because Abraham was laid to rest and buried there. That's why it was named Hebron, friendship with God. That's why it means friendship. Now, also, Jewish theologians, they they also believe that Adam and Eve are buried in Hebron. You talk about a place of beginnings, the place of the very patriarchs. Now, how many of you understand that demons always want and desire the high places? Devils always have an appetite For the high places. They have an appetite to desecrate, to bring perversion, and to tear down that which God calls sanctified, that which God calls holy. That's why you're in an epic battle for your very life, because you have been sanctified, you have been called holy, you have been set apart, you have been redeemed, you have been claimed by the very blood of Christ. The enemy desires the high places. Listen to this. This is in Isaiah chapter 14. It'll be behind me, but put it in your notes. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Listen what it says, speaking of the devil. This is important. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Is it there? All right. Son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground and you... Have weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. This is the words of Lucifer. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will... You catching this? I will, I will, I will. You catching that? I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down, Isaiah writes, to Sheol or to hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Notice that, that from the beginning, Satan was desiring the highest place. He's the father of lies. The enemy, every minion, every fallen minion of the devil desires the high places. Why? It started in the very heart of Lucifer himself. I will build my throne. 
I will take the glory. I will raise up myself above the stars of God. I'll take my rightful place. And so when we come and we're reading through the Old Testament, and we see that God has given them a promise of saying, I'm going to give you this land. Moses then sends the spies into the land, and to their discovery, they are alarmed and see that the land is full of real giants. Giants. Wow. And remember this. It was 12 that was sent out from Moses, but two came back with a report that was congruent with what God said. And the rest of them were bonded to an evil report. What happened to them? They died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. So now what happens is, is before Joshua and Caleb can come into the promised land, the people of God, they had to deal with the strongholds of the giants. Now in Joshua chapter 14, you can put this in your notes tonight, Joshua chapter 14 Verses 12 through 15, we get introduced to a man named Arba. He is a giant. And he's described to have taken hold of a stronghold called Hebron. And he takes it over, and now he's establishing his place. Just like the devil said, I'm going to establish my throne. Are you tracking this? And there were three giants, three giants in Kirjath Arba. Now the city is no longer called Hebron. Friendship with God. Now the city is called Kirjath Arba. And who is Arba? He is the mighty, mighty warring giant there in the high places. He has taken over Hebron. And it's now named, the city is named Kirjath Arba after this mighty giant. In Numbers chapter 13, it states that uh, a hem man, this is, this is the names, Shimhai and Talmai, they were the descendants of, a- of Anak. You can find this in Numbers 30, uh, 13, verse 22. Put it in your notes. And these are the namesake of the Anakim. Then you begin to read about these giants called Emim, E-M-I-M, or the Zan- Zanzimim. There's two different groups there. And they were great people. It says that they were numerous, they were tall, Giants like Anakim. Then we're told in Joshua chapter 14, verse 15, write it down. Joshua 14, verse 15, we're introduced to Arba. He is the greatest man or the greatest giant among the Anakim. He's the father of Anak. Now, where did these giants come from? That's what you have to ask the question. The Anakim came, all these different kinds of giants, they came from what we know as the Nephilim giants. The Nephilim giants. Now, what, what, where are they? Where, did they? where do we discover the Nephilim giants? This is our Bible, folks. This is our Bible. This isn't National Geographic that we're talking. This is our Bible. This is Genesis 6. When the fallen angels of God that were cast out of heaven, it says that these angels trespassed and they began to intermingle with the human women on the earth. And those women gave birth to what was known as Nephilim. They were giants. And the spawn of giants also went into the Anakim, to the Emim, to the Zamanim. All of these that I'm giving to you, these were descendants of these giants. This is in your Bible. This is in my Bible. We have the same Bible. (laughs) 
Are you with me? Now remember, remember last week, we talked about a very, a very notable giant named Goliath. And he was from where? Goliath from Gath. Also in a region called Gaza. You ever heard of that? Of course, you hear it on the news every other day concerning Israel. The, the region of Gaza or the region of Gath, where this giant was from, these men were monstrous and there was a corruption in their seed from fallen angels themselves. This is amazing stuff. This is treacherous, wild stuff that God was going to send his people in to annihilate and have to deal with these giants. It's amazing. I'm going to give you a promise. I'm giving you a, a promised land flowing with milk and honey. It is a blessed land. You're going to go in. You're going to take it and subdue it. And then they get to the very threshold of their promise, man. There's adrenaline. There's excitement. There's tambourines. Oh, man, people are pumped. The worship's going, the 12 are sent out, and they come back. Dear Lord, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. They're going to annihilate us. But remember the words of Caleb. No, 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 no. You're not seeing things right. Their protection is actually has actually been taken away from them, and they are like to us bread. He was saying, I have an appetite for victory. I have an appetite for triumph. God is going to give it to us just as we said. See, I wonder right now in 2020 if we can believe this or if we're just romanticizing history. I wonder if we can just sit in our church and romanticize biblical history and amen a message or just, you know, head bop to a message. Or, or do we actually believe the word of the Lord that in our hour, in our day, in our watch, that we can actually deal with the giants that are at hand? I wonder if God is raising and grooming up any Caleb-hearted, any lion-hearted men and women of God in this place. Oh! Now what you find out is that 40 years later, 45 actually, 45 years later of now wandering through the wilderness, you find these words of Caleb and he's speaking to Joshua and the people and he's saying, give me my mountain. And, and where was he talking about? He was talking about Hebron. Now, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 14. We're clocking in some mileage in the Word tonight. It's good to use your Bible. It's good to use your Bible. Put all this in your notes, too, so you can go back and look at it. They're finally going into the land where they're going to begin to conquer. What happened in that time? An unbelieving generation had to die. About five people just heard that. I said an unbelieving generation had to die. A mentor, a dear mentor in my life one time, you've heard me say it before, he said, Brian, he said, how do you pastor people who have no destiny? How do you pastor people who have no destiny? He told me, he said, as long as you serve and you're a shepherd of God's house, you will always pastor two congregations. One congregation will have a destiny full of faith, full of power, moving, surging ahead, and you will pastor those who have no destiny because they're still in unbelief. And he said to me, he said, how do you pastor people who have no destiny? 
He said you just love them until they die. That's a strong word. You don't learn that in Bible college, Sandra. He was right. He was right. Now, I know that's sobering. It's like sucks the moisture completely out of the room. It's okay. That's the truth. You've got to decide what man of God you are. You've got to saddle yourself up tonight. You've got to decide what kind of a man of God or a woman of God you're going to be. Are you going to be one of unbelief in this hour and begin to cower back in fear right now in this beloved United States of America? Are you going to rise up in faith and meet the challenge of this day? I'm telling you, as for me and my house, I'm telling you, we're in this fight to win. We're in this fight to win it. We're going to deal with the giants of this hour. And I'm telling you what, I'm expecting victory. I'm not submitting my nation to the giants. I'm not throwing my nation away. Never on my watch. Caleb is preaching to us. I'm sorry I'm so intense tonight. I'm sorry. Caleb is preaching to us. Caleb's faith is still echoing and echoing and rolling over us like oceans tonight in 2020. Take heed. Listen to his words. These enemies are like bread for us. Are you, are you, listen, I want to grab a hold of you and strengthen you in your inner man and in your spirit. You've got to get an appetite. You've got to begin to see this, that we can win over these giants in this hour. I'm telling you what, we're not the Middle East church. We're not the underground church of Iran and Iraq and Syria and Lebanon. They've got to deal with their own giants in their land. They've got to rise up in this hour. But we've got to rise up on our watch in our land. My God, I'm telling you, God is calling his church out of the place of fear to rise and conquering faith to say, I'm hungry for bread. I'm hungry for bread. My God, it is good. Eat that bread. Joshua 14, here it is. I'm beginning to read in verse 6. Then the children of Judah, they came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought back word to him as it was in my heart. And nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Wow. Are are you hearing this? What a conversation. He just says, hey, let's, re- let's throw the wheel, the, the, the reel back on, and let's just back up the tape. 
And let's go back and let's rehearse what happened here, Joshua. You remember when that promise was given me? Moses gave me a promise that that is my land. It's been 45 years. Watch this, verse 9. My God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. There's that blessing again. There's that, I'm telling you, man, there's that blessing again. It's a generational blessing. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing it? It's a generational. It's a, it's a generational blessing that God wants to give us. To every generation. He said, now behold, verse 10, are you there? Verse 10, are you there? The Lord has kept me alive. I love, I love this. The Lord, Caleb speaking, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I'm as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me. Are you feeling this? Are you, it's like he just, God, kept me young. I'm telling you what, my dear brothers, my dear friend, faith will keep you young. Faith will keep you radiant. Faith will keep you smiling. Faith will keep you glowing. Faith will keep you going. He said, ah, look at me. Look at me, Joshua. Drink it in. Take up the specimen of a man. I'm powerful. <laughs> Are you feeling this? I got the power. Oh, sorry. So anyway, we're back in the text. That's not there, and that was me. Now we're back in the text. Okay. God has kept me these 45 years. Here I am. I'm 85 years old. Verse 11. Yet I'm as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then. Here it is. So is my strength now for war. Both for going out and coming in. Don't miss the rest. Are you ready? Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Of which the Lord spoke to me in that day. I'm only rehearsing that day. I'm only going back to the past for a reference, not a preference. While everybody else was going back, remember when everybody else was going back to their past for a preference? They wanted to go back to bondage. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. I'm only going back to touch the past as a reference because my reference is a promise. And I'm going to speak it in my present day. I'm going to go take that land. Listen, we're not, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not into just romanticizing church Bible history so that we can just learn the book. The, bur the book has to become burning and alive on the inside of you. There is a reason in this hour that we're preaching this word. It's time for us to get an appetite to take out the giants. Now give me this mountain. Of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard that in that day, the Anakim, here they are. Who's the Anakim? They're the giants. They were there and that their cities were great and they were fortified. 
And it may be, watch this, and it may, may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Joshua, watch this, blessed him and gave him what? Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite to this day because, because of why? Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel, and the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Read that last sentence. Then the land had rest from war. Look, at, look, 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 look this way. If I can get it out, look this way. I remember, I remember so well, sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was sitting with my wife at my side. The year was 2000. The year was 2000. Just excuse me, I, I got a drink. Take a drink. Let's just take a drink. All right. I remember sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina at Morning Star Ministries. I remember them setting up a panel of speakers. We were sitting in the conference with about 2,000 people, a little more. And I remember the microphone being passed down from Rick Joyner to Bob Jones. This is the year 2000. Bob, how, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Bob was an extraordinary prophet. And I got to be with Bob not, before, not long before he passed away. It was an extraordinary time. But in 2000, Bob Jones takes the microphone and he says, God has shown me. And the way, the way that he talked was so funny. God has shown me. I'm telling you, everybody, God has shown me. But he said, God has shown me that the decade of the 20s, the church will come in to its greatest rest that it has ever known. It is going to be a decade of prosperity and a decade of rest for the people of God. I sat there, just my jaw just dropped. That was in the year 2000. I'm standing before you 20 years later. Look at the first half of this year. Now look at the last verse. Then the land had rest from war. How did it find rest? The giants had to be dealt with. I said the giants had to be dealt with. Are you getting this? Get it in your spirit. Don't just hear Brian's voice. Get it deep in your spirit. Don't you be intimidated. Don't you be intimidated. Don't you get in fear. Don't you back up. Don't you allow any minion spirit to paint you and back you into a corner in this hour. I'm telling you what, this is a time where you need to be bulking up and putting on some spiritual weight. Spir I'm talking spiritual weight. Spiritual muscle. Spiritual muscle. Faith muscle, visionary muscle that you are not backing down. 
I'm not talking about moving in the strength or, or, or the flesh of man. The strength of man. The strength of man is nothing. I'm talking about the supernatural source of strength, which comes by the Spirit of God. And it's available for every one of us. Amazingly, amazingly, I mean, can you imagine if Caleb was here tonight, him telling us what those 45 years were like? You ever think he just looked at some of those people and just said, would you just hurry up and die? Just just looking at them, yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember your family. You're the ones that wanted to go back to bondage. I remember in that meeting, you said you wanted a new leader. You, you, you guys were the family that wanted to stone me. You wanted to go back to all that bondage and slavery. Why don't you just go ahead and die? <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? Makes you think. You know what's amazing to me? And when you study the scriptures, long before David, the giant killer, was able to go to Hebron, and Hebron would become a city of refuge for David himself. Do you know the city of Hebron became a city of refuge? Think this through. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. But in the Old Testament, when you study the tribes of Israel, there were cities that were set apart to become cities of refuge. It was their distinction. It became their identity. What was a city of refuge? If, if you accidentally killed someone in an accident and you had to run and flee from the repercussion that would come upon you, you could run to these cities and hide in safety or in refuge. One of them, one of them if I can talk right, was the city of Hebron. But what's interesting is that David found himself being refreshed and rejuvenated in the city of Hebron after enduring all the conflict and being sought by a wicked, demonic King Saul. Now remember, you got to track with me. Remember, David had been anointed by Samuel, right? He was going to be the next king. He was anointed while Saul was still alive. After the Amalekites killed Saul, guess what happened? There was no unity in the nation, and there were many that even though they knew David was anointed to be the king of Israel, they didn't want him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They were like, yeah, yeah, we know, we, we heard the story. We heard the story how the prophet went down, wanted to anoint Eliab, the oldest, and it didn't work out. And, and David wasn't even there, and his dad had to call him in, and Samuel poured the anointing. We, we've heard the story, but we don't, we don't really care about it. We, we heard that's who God chose, but we don't really give a rip about that. We're not into that. So you know what happened? David wasn't able to go and take Jerusalem and become the king of all of Israel. He could only go to the city of Hebron and rule in that region for seven years. But guess what? Because a man named Caleb went and took out giants, he could go to a fortified city and find rest. Now David had his own battles, and so did his mighty men that took out even more giants. 
I'm not going to go through all of those tonight. I'll give you just a few. Are you, you got your thinking cap on? You all with me? David's mighty men, they killed a Goliath named Ishbi Boneb. They killed a giant named Saph. They killed a giant named Lami. Then there was this unnamed giant who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. This is in your Bible. Isn't that a wild? Where did these men come from? They were descendants of the, the remnant of Anakim. And where did they, where did they live? They, they lived in the region of Gath, Gaza, and Ashdad. This is, this is Joshua chapter 11. Put it in your notes if you want to see all this. This is all in Joshua chapter 11. Notice that Goliath, Goliath was from Gath, which happened to be one of the three places that Anakim remained. You can find all that again in Joshua chapter 11. Goliath was a descendant of Anakim, who was mixed with the Philistine population in that area. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about dealing with giants. What are our giants in this hour? You know, giants, giants can come very personal. Giants in our life... Giants in our life came from a lot of generational malfunction. All I got to do is toss this mic around the room and ask you to share your testimony, your real testimony. And what you find out is that a lot of personal giants came from generational malfunctions. Loneliness, abandonment, rejection, spirits of rage, spirits of anger, spirits of lust, spirits of pornography, stealing, right? There's three people breathing in the room. Are you okay? This is the real stuff. Are you, are you here? This is, this is what happened. And we had to actually learn how to move into the victory of the Lord that he won for us to overcome personal giants, didn't we? But what we're talking about tonight is national giants. What are our giants that we're facing? I'm going to give you a few of them. One of the giants is the Antichrist spirit. One of the giants in this nation is racism. One of the giants is abortion. It's the shedding of innocent blood, and God hates it. God absolutely abhors it. He calls it an abomination unto him. There's a giant of militant homosexuality masquerading, parading itself in the LGBTQ. Here's another giant, sexual immorality, perversion, pornography. These are giants. Lawlessness, corruption. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all three of these together. Lawlessness, corruption, and anarchy. These are giants. These giants are manifesting. See, listen, folks. We're not looking, don't be duped by what you see on the news. You have to look beyond what is going on in virtual reality. It is not just people tearing down monuments and the ancient landmarks. Remember, the devil loves to come and pervert and take the high places. Any place that's holy unto God or, or sacred, it's not just people. They're being driven by demon spirits that want to lose the spirit of anarchy in America. 
And I, I don't care less if this video gets traction and goes everywhere. I've got enough people hating me already. <laughs> how, about, how about this giant? Wicked legislation against religious freedoms and liberties in Washington. You better believe that's a massive giant. Right now they are correlating and codifying legislation that is so anti-Christ and anti-God to take every one of our rights away. All you got to do is look at what is happening and manifesting. Manifesting. There's, there's someone standing behind Gavin Newsom in the state of California. I want to tell you, brother, it's a demon spirit. He's the same one that four weeks ago Hillary Clinton said, I wish that every governor in this nation would follow Governor Newsom's leadership. You know why? Because she's loaded. She's packing critters herself. She's full of critters. I'm not talking about chiggers either. <laughs> You know, when I wrote Bold as Lions, this is what I heard from the Lord. Of course, this is Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. It says that the righteous shall be bold as lions. But I heard from the Lord. I'm telling you, I heard it so loud. It was like it was audible. And this is what I heard. Brian, the future does not belong to the God mockers. It does not belong to the God haters. The future belongs to the righteous. That's what I heard. That's what I heard in my spirit. And I'm telling you what, it renewed my mind to the hour that we're going into in this spiritual warfare, in this spiritual battle. It was no accident that I remember when Pastor came in and saw you the first day you were born. He said his, he's going to be called HP, high places. He's going to take the high places. That's what he spoke over you, Josiah. You're going to take the high places. I'm not planning on surrendering my nation to the wolves. I'm not planning on surrendering my nation to the devils. There is coming a confrontation beyond anything we have ever, ever imagined. A divine confrontation is being summoned. This awakening that we're moving into, ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand it's going to separate the men from the boys for sure. And it's also going to separate those that are of faith and those that are in unbelief. The Apostle Paul, and I want you to turn there. It's in 2 Corinthians 10. It'll be behind me. You can put it in your notes. Listen, some of you in this room, you are being groomed to take out major giants. Don't you underestimate your destiny. Don't you... Jim, don't you underestimate your destiny and your purpose. You were created in this hour to annihilate giants. God has bread for you. Shane, God has bread for you. And your wife. <laughs> My bread's coming with oil and herbs at Carabas. Glory to God. I just, I just... And, and so we're going back to 2 Corinthians. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm not always anointed, 
but that was anointed. All right, so we're in Second Corinthians. <laughs> Brent and I, our day off is Wednesday, every week, Wednesday, and we went out on a date this week. And man, we went to Carabas, and I'm telling you what, we ate so much bread and oil, we had to repent. <laughs> we, I mean, we had to repent. I felt like my cheeks were out this far. I looked like I just got my wisdom teeth pulled. <laughs> I just felt swollen. It's like, dear God, how many loaves did I just eat? Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, he says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. Let this encourage you. Let this strengthen you. Let this be bread for you tonight. Let it feed you tonight. Let this nourish you. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing. Do you see that? Every high thing that exalts itself. Don't miss that. Remember what we read in the beginning? Isaiah chapter 14, the devil said, I will, I will, I will, I will exalt myself. God has given you power and authority to deal with all of those imps and minions and say, no, you will not. No, you will not. No, you will not. Are you hearing this? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes on. Ephesians 6, and verse 12, it's behind me, put it in your notes. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, <laughs> but against principalities, powers, against rulers in the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what Paul wrote. We're not just wrestling. Listen, what you see happening, these mobs of people who are trying to tear down everything sacred about our nation, they are after what is sacred to America. They're being influenced by demons. I'm telling you, folks, it's not just the people. They're driven by demons. It's who's behind them. If we don't pray... This is where it gets very sobering. This is where it gets very sobering. If we don't pray, and if we don't act courageously and step up, we could lose the United States of America. The church has been asleep for so long. How, how do you think America looks the way that it looks? Look what's just happened in just the last 50, 60 years. Amazing. But I'm here to declare some good news tonight. I believe that the praying church is alive and well. 
I believe that praying church is alive and well. I believe we are entering, entering into this new era that has been decreed. And I'll take you back to Charlotte, North Carolina. Bob Jones said, the 20s. He says, I see the 20s. God showed me the 20s. He said, the church is going to enter into the greatest rest of the Lord. The greatest rest of the Lord. The land rested after the warfare was ended. We're in the middle of a war. But I'm hungry for victory. And there's peace on the other side of this too. The church is going to move into this new era, friends. The true church. There is a church that is falling away right now too. There are many that will be lost. But there are many that will be saved. <laughs> we are moving into the greatest harvest of souls on planet earth. We are entering into the greatest harvesting of souls on planet earth. I believe in the next just few years, perhaps even billions of souls could be saved. In just the next few years, billions of souls. See, see again, where's your faith? See, people look at the Middle East and they hardly have any faith that God can't move in Muslim strongholds, Muslim high places, Muslim strongholds for the gospel to advance and thrive. They're wrong. Just as wrong as they are of looking, looking at America and think, and, and it's like it's amazing. You got all these Christians that just throw up their hands and they, they have no hope. No, what it is is they have no faith. They've already just surrendered everything over. No, brother, don't you understand? This is just how it's going to be in the last days. No, this is just it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. I'm telling you what, when Jesus comes, as for this house, he's going to find us burning in faith. Burning in faith, advancing. Listen, the Holy Spirit is hungry for our city. The, hungry, the Holy Spirit wants to eat this city up like bread. He has an appetite to take cities and regions. We've got to get the same appetite. When I say that we're going to see the greatest harvest of souls on planet Earth, I'm, I'm speaking not about uh, Canada right now. And thank God for Canada. Hey. Eh? May God pour out a spirit on Canada, eh? But listen, I'm talking about right here in Florida, coast to coast, from the Keys to Tallahassee, from Sarasota to Tampa to Jacksonville to the Panhandle. We've got to begin to see ourselves moving into the greatest move of God together. you got to see it. There's a holy invasion coming. You need to write it down. There's a holy invasion coming. There's a holy invasion coming. I wrote about it in the first book. When the burning heart of God ignites a life, invades our cities, and recaptures a nation. God told me in Dallas, Texas, son, you're going to witness and be part of America's ultimate comeback. You're going to witness it, and you're going to be part of America's ultimate comeback. When the burning heart of God ignites a life, invades our cities, and recaptures this nation.
Every one of us have a part to play. Your kids have a part to play. Your precious kids. You have a part to play. Your prayers have a strategic part. To, your prayers, your intercession. What we do in this church, Doug, what we do, what we say, what, what we prophesy from this house, what we declare, what we say, I'm telling you what, there's power in what we do. There's power in this house. The enemy, listen, the enemy hates what goes on here. The enemy hates what's going on here. I see you, Philip. Just the other, uh, the other day, little, little Benjamin walked up to Philip and he said, Daddy, he says, he says, evil people hate Pastor Brian. Didn't he say that? Came out of nowhere. Well, it came out of the spirit. He said, evil people. He doesn't even talk like that. He doesn't even use the H word, hate. He doesn't even talk like that. It's not even his. He walked up to Philip and said, evil people hate Pastor Brian. But he also gave some good news, too. How much God loved Pastor Brian. Listen, the devil hates what's going on here. He can't stand it. There's power in here. There's power. Don't you underestimate. Listen, we're coming into it. This move of God is going to manifest. We're going to be part of it. Don't miss it. D.L. Moody, write it down. D.L. Moody, one of our great American evangelists. He said, every move of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Every move of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. What am I saying to you? I'm saying that all that God does in the entire earth is birthed by intercession. All. All that God does in the entire earth is birthed by intercession. I would not be standing here preaching the gospel if a man named Miles Black wouldn't have been standing looking at my dad while my dad was operating a crane, lost, lost and utter darkness and miles just stood there and interceded over my dad's life dropping bombs dropping prayers over my dad's life over my family calling my family into the kingdom of god i'm going to say it to you again all that god does in the earth is birthed by intercession do not underestimate the power of your prayers your prayers, what you say in the privacy of your home, Mike, what you, when you walk under the stars at night, Debbie, and you're praying through the streets of your neighborhood and you're walking in the Holy Ghost, you don't underestimate the power of your prayers and how God's going to take them and change the world with them. God's going to do it. He needs men that believe. He needs women. He needs lioness with the heart of Caleb who have a different spirit in them. A different spirit. I've got a different spirit. I remember what my wife and I were in a meeting and a prophet, I'm not going to tell you who it was, it doesn't matter, but he was for profit. He wasn't non-profit status, he was for profit. <laughs> And God spoke to me. 
And he said, he's going to call you out right now, and he's going to give you a word. And I, and I went to lean up into my wife's ear. We were sitting at a round table. And before I could get to my wife's ear, he said, Brian, stand up right now. Here we go. He said, son, he said, you're not allowed to do what other preachers are doing. You're not allowed to do what all your other pastor friends are doing. You're not allowed. God will not allow you to do what others are doing because your call is unlike anyone else's call. And then he began to speak directly to it. Now, I'm just going to say to you, you're in a different church. You're in a different church. Cody, Sandra showed up at my house, started playing in our living room. Just with a few people worshiping. But God called them to this house. They're in a different house. They're glad to be in this house. We're glad to have them in this house. We're glad you're in this house. But I'm going to tell you, we're not, we're not actually allowed to do what everybody else is doing. And, I, and I'm not here to dismiss what everybody else is doing. But we're not allowed to do a lot of things that's going on that we call working. We're just not allowed to do it. This place is an ecclesia that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, just because you've got massive crowds doesn't mean Jesus is building that church. You know how I know that? Because when I walk into them and I thunder the word of the Lord, I'm pulled into back green rooms and denounced and say, don't talk like that to the church. And you'll see hundreds of people pour out of that church because they can't even handle it. They can't even handle a real word. They can handle Kool-Aid, but they can't handle a real word. They're being spoon-fed dead religion. It's not doing anything for anybody. It, 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 looks, it looks like grandiose success. This is what's going on in America. Folks, I mean, my God. Go to, the, go, to the, go to the world and just look at what's going on in the other nations of the world. They're, they're dealing with real devils. I mean, around here, it was like we got Pee Wee Herman devils. How I many remember Pee Wee Herman? Boy, little stick guy. It's like, it's, it's like some Christians, they don't, they don't even need principalities. They just got these Pee Wee Herman devils and, you know, they, they, they deal with them enough. Some people don't even need demonically challenged. The devil looks at some people and goes, they're so jacked, they don't even need us. Let's go. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you know how much leaven of the world is in the church system of America? The leaven of Pharisee, the political leaven of the Pharisees is in the church, you say anything that rattles their cage, they empty out. Why? They've heaped up to themselves teachers, and they won't hear anything they don't want to hear. They don't even heed the word of a true prophet. They're scared to death of a real apostle. They're scared to death of them. They just want a nice little TED talk, stroke them. Make them feel good. They'll give a lot of money to the church. You give them a real word, they'll walk. 
I'm going to end with Hebrews 1 and 9. You're glad. You're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Land this plane, Brian. Woo. I'm going to. Hebrews chapter 1. This is where we're going to go next week, so I'm setting it up. I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you, I don't know what this, out, this next outpouring really looks like. I don't know. It doesn't mean that this building's even going to be packed. It may just mean that we're always meeting outside and we're, all, we're, we're, we're on the beaches and we're over here and we're over. I don't, I don't know. All I know is that this mega harvest is coming and we've got to get ready. We've got to ready ourselves in prayer. Man, I'm telling you, we've got to get serious about prayer in this church. And it's going on. It's really going on. But I'm telling you, we've got to get really serious about our prayer level in this church. God wants to do something extraordinary here. God wants the habitation of His manifest presence to become so real. He wants what happens in our worship to explode and go for hours on end. And people just walk in. And I don't even have to take the microphone, but people are just getting healed, delivered out of lifestyles, delivered from spirits of rage, spirits of anger, spirits of perversion, pornography. They, all they just got to walk into the glory, walk into the presence of the Lord and be transformed. That's called classical Pentecostalism. That's what they believed. All people needed to do was just feast on the presence of God, and they'd be healed. They'd be saved. That's what happens. You all okay? All right. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is spoken by the Father over the, concerning the Son. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm just going to read two verses. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all your companions. This is what I want you to write down. A sword is an instrument of warfare. Write it down. Write it down. A sword is an instrument of warfare, but a scepter, a scepter is an instrument of authority and ruling. Read it again, verse 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. What I believe is that we have been waging a good warfare for a long time. But God wants to give us another realm of revelation. You hear me a lot say this. I'm going to close with this. You hear me say this all the time. Revelation establishes authority. Say it with me. Revelation establishes authority. It means that when the Word of God becomes a rhema, a God-breathed Word in your spirit, it takes on 
authority in your life. It will manifest an authority. Does that make sense? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word has to become flesh. It means it has to become a living reality within you. Does that make sense? We've been waging a warfare with the sword of the Spirit. We've had the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We took up our shield of faith. We took up the sword of the Spirit so that we could extinguish every flying dart or arrow of the enemy. But listen to what he said. He said, the scepter that Jesus has is the scepter of righteousness. It's the scepter of your kingdom. It's not a sword, it's a scepter. It means that scepter is what rules and releases authority and power. I believe, I believe the Lord is going to train us as a tribe, a tribe of people. A, he's going to train us as a company, a tribe of people. A pack of, a pack of lions means a pride. Don't be afraid of that word. It's, it's a pride, right? Lions travel in prides. It's like a tribe. But I believe that there's a revelation that the Lord has been courting me personally in for a long time. And I believe I, I'm still growing in it and expanding in it. But I believe God wants to bring this tribe into a place of learning how to rule over all the works of the devil with authority and power, and it's through the scepter of righteousness. It's through the scepter of the kingdom that when we speak as one, that when we speak as one, we legislate as the ecclesia, we legislate the word of the Lord over our city, over our region, over our county. Folks, this is real stuff. I hope you're hearing this with your spirit. This is real stuff. God wants to give us epic national victories, citywide victories, region-wide victories. It's going to come by Him training us how to rule over our enemies and deal with the giants. I want you to stand. What a night this has been. What a night. Cody, would you come? A prophet, Chuck Pierce, said to my friend Dutch Sheets, he said, the Spirit of God is saying it's time to pioneer Hebron again. This is where we started at the front of this train. What does that mean? It means God desires for his church to deal with the giants and take them out. It's simply what it means. Would you lift your hands tonight across the auditorium? Would you lift your hands, those of you that are watching online, whoever you are, wherever you're at throughout the country? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. This is what I hear. I hear there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. That's what I hear. I just closed my eyes and I heard there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, Cody. 
Father, I thank you that you have called every son and daughter to be part of this end time harvest and to grow into extraordinary warriors that do great exploits. You said that your sons and daughters, they shall do great exploits. The most heroic acts of war like Caleb. God, I pray that you will use this friendship, this family, this body. I pray, God, that we would be a Hebron, a place of friendship, a high place. I pray that, God, when you look at Florida, when you look at Florida, man, I see this right now. I pray, Lord, when you look at Florida, that Sarasota would look like a mountaintop. It would look like a high place, a Hebron in the spirit, a place of friendship. Ah, man, I'm just decreeing this. A place of intimacy, a place of friendship, a place of the abiding habitation of God where sons and daughters of God are the true friends of God that begin to move with authority, to begin to move with power, to remove the giants of this land. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's by your Spirit. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. Rest on us. Rest on us. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Rest on us. Rest on this family. Rest on victory, God. Rest on us, Holy Ghost. Lord, give us revelation. Revelation. Authority to move in power. To exercise your triumph and victory, God, over all the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Make this place an apostolic center. Make this place an apostolic house, God, where apostles and prophets come, God. Hallelujah. Apostles and prophets come in and out and through this house, God, to equip the body of Christ throughout the state of Florida. Oh, God. Let this apostolic beachhead take reality. And Lord, let the ranks now come in and come in and come in to establish power and to expand your kingdom to advance to this state and beyond. Hallelujah. We'll give you all the glory for it. We'll give you all the glory. All the glory. If you're hungry for bread, just lift your hands tonight. If you're hungry to apprehend victories, if you're hungry to apprehend triumph, just lift your hands. Yes, Lord. Spirit of God, fall on us tonight. Spirit of fire, spirit of burning, the eternal burnings of God, fall on us, fall on us, fall on us. Baptize us, God. Baptize us in fire. Baptize us in fire. Baptize us in fire. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.